Stacy Lee, um, lovely to meet you. Love to meet you too. Thank you. Um, a short while ago, you wrote to me to highlight the plight of mortality in hatchlings, sea turtle hatchlings in Florida. And you sent us um, an article which will be published, if not already. Um, can you tell us just, just a little bit more about that and, and why, you, why you wrote to us? Well, uh, just a very brief background. Uh, I'm from New York, so when I moved down here in 2007, I actually didn't even know about a sea turtle. And I try to stress that to people that you don't have to be a marine biologist or a science to try to help a marine animal or any animal. Sometimes just life experience can do that. So when I first came down here, uh, everybody was talking about go on these turtle walks. And I'm like, I don't even know what a sea turtle is. So I went on a sea turtle walk and it's conducted by a biologist. I actually went to the one at Gumbo Limbo up in uh, Boca Raton. And you go out at night and the mom is nesting and you're literally right behind her watching her drop the eggs and I was kind of struck by how close we were to this wild animal. I mean if I were giving birth I would not want a crowd behind me even if I was in the zone. But when I looked up and I saw all of the lights, I mean it wasn't anything like what I had seen growing up years before in like Wild Kingdom or National Geographic. It's supposed to be really dark and this was pretty much like a shopping mall kind of thing. Uh, and I was struck by how narrow the beach was and how much trash was on it and how overdeveloped it was. Uh, years ago, there used to be dunes and all kinds of vegetation and all of that was gone and it was replaced just by huge condos and hotels. And they were talking about all the things that affected the sea turtles and their survival, like one in 10,000 globally when you factor in all the problems. And light pollution clearly was one of them. In Florida, I would say light pollution is the number one killer of turtles. And then after that, um, I would say the hot sand and the degradation of the ocean water itself. So I didn't really know anybody and I didn't really know what to do or anything like that, but I knew that they were in trouble. Um, so about a year later, uh, as a member of Defenders of Wildlife, they were giving a lecture on, of all things, sea turtles at Gumbo Limbo. So I went there and I ended up sitting next to and in front of my two future permit holders. I sat next to Susie Hiles and she worked the uh, statewide morning survey for Highland Beach, which is right next to Boca Raton. And just very briefly, that's uh, we go out in the morning before sunrise, we're like vampires, and we record all the crawls, we mark the nest, and when they hatch out, we dig them up. If there are any little hatchlings uh, in the nest, we, we would save them until nightfall and release them in the dark. And behind me was Richard and Zent White Cloud, who went up and talked about the light pollution and how it kills all these hatchlings. And they were, there was no group at the time. They, it was just them and a couple of people kind of trying to get it together. So I was literally kind of destined to work with sea turtles. So I started doing the morning program in Highland Beach. And a couple months later, I was down in Broward County. And we didn't have any kind of program. We were just kind of making it up as we go along. It was a bit chaotic because you would sit by a couple of nests. You thought, you know, hopefully it would hatch while you were there. The nests would hatch out and the baby turtles would literally scamper all over the place, basically every direction but the ocean because it was even worse as far as the lighting was, was concerned. So from there, we formed a rescue group and here we are several years later. Um, not a whole lot has been accomplished. 
So um, just, just to clarify for, for people that don't know, in a natural state, the turtles are going to head to the bright horizon, which is normally out to sea. Yeah. And what's happening now is all the lights from towns, resorts, houses, whatever, inland is drawing the turtles in to the land where they stand no chance. What happens to them when they actually make that journey inland? Well, for millions and millions of years, the sea turtle hatchings, which when I talk to people who aren't biologists, I say I like to kind of refer to the hatchling as light turtles, not sea turtles, because they're driven by the light until they get to the sea. Unfortunately for them, they don't go by smell or feel or anything. When they look to the bright horizon, they're actually looking for several things. They're not looking for the full moon because the full moon is only actually a full moon a couple of days a month if it's not cloudy. But the full moon illuminates the sky. What they're really looking for is just the illumination from all of the stars, which, as you know, with all of the sky glow issues, you look up in the sky and you don't see a few stars. So it's much darker now. So they come out and they literally can see them. They turn their head around and what used to be bright horizon with millions of twinkling stars is dark and then they turn around to the west or north and south and all of the individual lights and in all of the buildings all the indoor lights and outdoor lights those look like all the twinkling stars and then the sky glow just kind of illuminates everything so they crawl I would say mostly west but they also crawl south and north based on the pier um, sometimes there'll be like a big uh, like cruise ship or a gambling ship out there that's illuminated with light Light can be seen for miles. Sometimes they fixate on one light, and sometimes they fixate just on the illumination. And they will literally crawl until they can no longer see it. And if they're following light and they crawl into the vegetation, because the hatchlings, when they're newborn, are just two, three inches big, and they can no longer see it, they don't then turn around, because at that point they're so disoriented and confused, they don't know where they are. They don't turn around and go back to the ocean because that's still dark to them. So they will literally just wander around until they die of exhaustion or dehydration or eaten by one of the few animals left on the beach, the, the crabs, the crows, the feral cats. Most end up, uh, depending upon what beach it is, down storm drains um, in the road uh, or driven over um, by any number of vehicles on the beach. <clears throat> so it's a, it's a perilous journey for them. And in Broward County, it's the only county that really records all of the disorientation, which is about, give or take, 75 to 80 percent. So that means if you have 100 hatchlings, 80 of them will die if they're not rescued, which is not a sustainable number. No, and, it, and it's tragic. I mean, just for every single individual animal, it's, 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 it's quite horrible. I mean, this is a global problem, and yeah. you're, you're highlighting it in, in parts of Florida. Um, in your area, how, how long has this actually been a problem? Uh, and, and since that time, are there any figures to say what the mortality rate is or how it's changing every year? The problem has existed since there's been coastal development. So I would say since people have been living on the coast of Florida, so we're talking decades. Um, Florida started to become developed in the 
1920s, 1930s, there were a few people down here, but it really started to develop around there. By the 50s, if you look at the old postcards, it was just massive development. So this has pretty much been going on since humans have, have been here. Um, and it is a, it's a global problem, a huge global problem. The unique thing about Broward County is that since 2010, we've actually documented the situation of course, there's so few of the volunteers out at night, we miss more nests than we actually catch. Um, but you could definitely see the trend. So it's definitely not unique to Broward County. If you go down to Miami, um, it's even worse. They have less nests, but the lighting is much worse. So the, the rate of death by light pollution would be higher. Um, so this is a, a statewide problem. So we use Broward County as kind of a, of a model to say, well, if you look at all the lights and you look at all the nests, you can see that 80, 90 percent of them don't crawl to the ocean. If you go to other counties where the lighting is just as bad, then you know, even if you're not there, you know what's going to happen. Also, when you come out in the morning and you see all the tracks, if they don't go straight to the water, then basically you're, it's like death tracks is what we call them, when they just kind of loop around and they go towards the dunes. We know those tracks were turtles that were confused by the light and never made it home. Um, I don't know any other country that has any kind of a rescue thing. I know that over the years, many, many groups in other states and other countries contacted us because they wanted to form something like this. But it's also, as you know, a political situation because that involves you know, business owners and retail on the beach and all of that and tourism and most people are resistant to change and so that has kind of stalled things but we've known this has been going on forever uh, Dr. Kurt Rosinko who ran the program since I guess the mid 90s uh, for Gumbo Limbo uh, he made a statement that you know since like the mid 90s he would send in these forms that we would fill out and it basically tells you you know how many turtles did not go to the water and presume dead and so we know that at least it has been well documented and the state is aware of it for 25 years and very little has been changed or accomplished since then. You have, um, there is the Endangered Species Act, which yes. one kind of hopes in the back of one's mind <laughs> that it takes all this into consideration and is effective in doing something. I mean, is there any government or local authority support uh, in any way at all um, to help the turtle situation? Uh, well, that's a, a bit of a tricky question, but in a nutshell, no, no support. Um, we do have the Endangered Species Act. Of course, changes have been made over the years. Um, it originally passed in 1973, and the hope was that we would add to it and enforce it and educate the public, and a lot of that just has not happened. Uh, but technically, a federally protected endangered species, one light could be considered breaking federal law because that one light can draw over the years, millions of hatchlings to their death. And we, we proved this and we've documented it, but nothing actually gets done. Um, I mean, it, there, there are certain mechanisms. I know Highland Beach over the years, which is a very dark beach and is one of the few areas that doesn't have this problem. I know that the, those of us who worked with the sea turtles worked very closely with the residents that lived on the beach 
and the police department and everybody got along and everybody loved each other and every once in a while you would have a, a problem building and so the town was very supportive and they would institute fines of like several thousand dollars well at some point is it really worth paying several thousand dollars a day or going to say Lowe's and doing something like this a few bucks to change your light for a red bulb or a few dollars for like a a shield and then that would end it so that worked for Highland Beach but a lot of other areas there's just a huge amount of resistance so there are federal laws there are state statutes there are local ordinances but the problem with that is not just getting enforcement and education but the lighting law only deals with external lights that well, when it, the way it's written is any, any light that can be seen on the beach. But I can tell you that it really only is external lights. Any indoor lights or sky glow or any kind of lights coming from, you know, people walking on the beach doesn't follow under the purview of that law. Um, and if it's not enforced, then you don't really have anywhere to go. I worked with several code officers in different municipalities and they had no idea about any kind of local law, how to enforce it or anything like that. So in Lotto Del by the Sea, um, my zone that I worked for 10 years, we would invite them out and they would see a mama nesting and they would see the hatchlings and they would look at all the lights and they would be like, oh my gosh, I need sunglasses. It's so bright. And then they would see the turtles crawl. And so then we did get some of the, some of the external lights off. But all it takes is just really one bright indoor light, um, and that can be seen for you know a couple of miles. If the view isn't obstructed, it could it could be seen for a long time, and the turtles crawl to it. So there are laws, but they're not enforced, and they haven't been in decades. There's no reason to think suddenly they're going to be. I was just looking at your YouTube channel, um, Reality Checks <laughs> with Stacey Lee, yeah. and one of the videos. Um, although it is, uh, I think, 2011, and it says, and here we are during the nesting or the, the hatching period, and there's a great big JCB machine forklift thing driving down the beach with huge great trunks, tree trunks, and I assume this is during the hatching period. Is that is that the video of the beach nourishment? That's a that's another thing that they, yeah they beach, go yeah. beach nourishment project. Yeah, that was uh, yeah that was that was Hillsborough Beach. Now Hillsborough Beach, like Highland Beach, uh, is in Broward County, but it's private. Um, you can't get on the beach unless you own property. It's very small. It's relatively dark. We have the least amount of problems there, but um, the state of Florida does beach nourishment actually during nesting season and it of course you know it always runs late um, they have these machines with these bright floodlights that are on all night long and these huge thunderous machines that just clank all I mean it's so loud and so noisy um, there's at least one or two mama turtles that ends up getting sucked into it and dies from these machines this can be done in the off season but they choose to do it when there are less tourists here so they do it during the nesting season um, that particular one went uh, not just over budget but it went well into the leatherback nesting season they're critically endangered but also one of the machines broke down like in the ocean so I had contacted 
the biologist up in Jupiter who worked for U.S. Fish and Wildlife, since it's a federal species, and I requested that they institute a cease and desist, which they did, but then they're in the middle of doing the beach nourishment, the equipment was stuck, they had to get it fixed, so it's kind of a mess. That's a whole other mess that the turtles have to deal with as well, but you see those bright lights, the same kind of bright lights um, that we see on the beach all night long from any number of sources, mostly commercial. Um, even an in, the inside of a restaurant can be, can be bright. Actually, I have a picture here. You can see this is like the inside of a restaurant. Two o'clock in the morning, the restaurant is closed. The law doesn't cover this because it's all inside. This restaurant, which was Sea Watch in Lauderdale by the Sea, could draw hatchlings from two, three miles away. And I don't just mean one nest. This would be on every night, all night long. I mean, there are buildings that I would pretty much write nightly reports on. You know, Crane Crest is one of them. The whole side would be illuminated. After years and years and years, nothing ever got done. Lights never got shielded or fixed. Uh, it's not a sustainable situation. Um, um, but the nourishment is just another, another another of long long problems that the turtles face. This, this is all so tragic and, and so avoidable, you know, with a little bit of effort. And, you know, along with plastic being embedded into the food chain, we've got bycatches with all industrial fishing. I mean, literally in your, in your mind, what future is there for turtles now? You know, people have been asking me that for a long time, and I try to give a little bit of hope because I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, and I don't want to say there's no hope, because the moment you say there's no hope, then people just completely give up. Um, but sea turtles literally have everything against them from the moment the egg drops into the nest, and they could be predated by either humans or predators, and then when they hatch out, you know, you've got all the light pollution. Just crawling to the ocean can be very precarious. And then once they're in the ocean, it's like a toxic soup of chemicals, hurricanes, I mean, just a whole oil spills. <laughs> it's a litany, a litany of problems. Um, as far as what, what the future holds for sea turtles, that would, unfortunately, take a global effort um, because it can't just be a few people trying to rescue hatchlings in one county or one state or one country. These are migratory animals that travel the world. So the world is going to have to stop dumping. Um, there's a huge amount of dumping in the ocean. Uh, Florida still dumps raw sewage in the ocean. I mean, and I mean, you've seen the pictures of all the plastic and the just everything. That is a huge global problem. I don't know if there's any will to fix it, but if there's true leadership at the top and you explain to people, um, you're not going to have a job to save if everyone is sick and dying from all of the pollution. Uh, there's hardly anything left in the ocean. I mean, you've seen the statistics. You know, we used to have so many fish and whales and dolphins and seals, and it's just, you know, shrinking, shrinking, shrinking um, from the long lines and the, and the bycatch and just everything. Um, sharks, for instance, something like 70 million of them are killed for shark finning, and just on and on and on. None of that is sustainable. If the ocean goes, we go as a species. It's in our interest to clean up the ocean and not, and not dump in it. So one thing would be true leadership uh, from 
most of the countries, literally most of the countries, to first stop dumping. That that would be the first thing. And then to institute some kind of protective measures. I have been a big fan of indoor hatcheries because not only would you not have to do anything about the lights, right, because nobody wants to anyway, um, you, you wouldn't have to worry about um, anyone driving over the nest. There'd be no predation from the raccoons or fox. But also another big looming problem is they've done studies of the temperature and moisture of sand. And again, one was actually done in Boca. And they found that it's so hot, it's creating only females. Well, there's always, or I would say always, there's usually more females of a species than males, but not so much so. Usually it's like 55, 45, you know, kind of thing. 60, 40, that's kind of like your cutoff. But when you start getting 70, 30, 80, 20, that's not enough males to sustain a species. Um, I mean, if you were a human male and you were like 20, 20 males to 80 women, that might be great, for, but for a species, it's just not. Factor in all the pollution, you know not all the males are going to be able to reproduce. Some of them are going to be sterile. You know, they've done studies on frogs where some of them are, they have the gender of both male and female or they're sterile. So we know this has to go on with sea turtles and, and other marine species too. You can't live in a toxic soup and, you know, be healthy. Um, so we're finding that there are beaches that only produce females. So hatcheries, you don't have to worry about the lights. You can control the temperature and start producing more males. I don't know of any studies that looked at shorebirds and the crocodiles, but I know temperature also affects gender and survivability as their, um, their, their offspring as well. So this would kind of benefit any species that, that nests on the beach or even nearby where the temperature is just so much hotter than it used to be. It would solve a host of problems. It put people to work. I mean, it, it's like a it's like a win-win situation. Uh, and I'm we used to actually have hatcheries. That's the joke. We used to actually have hatcheries, and the state got rid of them without ever doing anything about the lights. And that was one of the driving forces to create like a rescue group in Broward. Now they're getting rid of the rescue groups. It's just going to be more death. So I. I can't say it loudly enough, hatcheries. But I don't just mean in Florida. I mean like a global initiative has to, has to occur. Because while Florida is a huge nesting hub for the loggerheads and becoming increasingly important for the leatherbacks because they've lost a lot of their habitat, um, it's got to be a global issue. Because once they leave our waters, then they have all that, all those other dangers that they have to deal with. So it's really got to be a, a global initiative. I hope that happens, um, but in the back of my mind, I really do think that sea turtles like sharks or, and elephants could go extinct in my lifetime. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I don't mean like 30 years, Jeff. I mean like five, 10 years, you know. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying, really. It, it, it is. For, for people that um, want to help and can't, can't physically help, what can, what can they do? I mean, does does actually writing to your government representative or your MPs here, uh, does that actually work, do you think? If enough people wrote about a, a, a certain beach, a certain aspect of, of wildlife protection? Uh, it does in some circumstances. I know uh, people always look to petitions. Uh, and in fact, there is a petition for this. But I always say a petition is good if it's like one small local 
issue, you know, like changing the local animal shelter kind of thing. But if you're talking about a big issue like this, uh, petitions are only good in order to like wake people up that there's a problem. So I don't really, I don't really advise going the way of petitions. Um, contacting the agency that makes the decision, which is not always your congressman or senator, because they focus on a, a whole host of issues, even though in theory they represent you, they're really looking at the country. So any kind of local issue would kind of fall by the wayside. So I would say contact the local uh, state agency or federal agency that would be in charge of granting permits and enforcing the laws. That would be one thing. And I know a lot of people would prefer to send an email or a letter than a phone call, which is fine, you know. Um, but a phone call gets the most attention because so few people do it. But I know that if I worked for a state agency or, you know, or a senator and I was just getting, you know, call after call after call after call, eventually I wouldn't be able to get any of the work done. I would be forced to say, if nothing else out of curiosity, what are all these people calling about? Um, maybe I should do something. You know, maybe I won't get reelected if I don't do something, or maybe I won't keep my job if I don't get to do something. It's all out there in the in the public domain. So I would say to to call the agencies in charge of setting the policy and enforcing the law and signing off on the permits. That would be the best. And the second best would be to to write an email or a letter. And then after that, uh, there are things that that anybody can do. Uh, of course, anybody who lives on the beach, I would say, you know, please just Google Twitter friendly lights, which actually is safer for humans. Those bright floodlights actually blind us. So if we have a shield, we can actually see a, a, a larger area. So it actually makes it safer for us. So I would say if you live on the beach, that would be something. Uh, if you go on the beach, keep your distance. Don't use your cell phone. Don't use a, a white flashlight. Use a flashlight that has like a red bulb that's more turtle friendly or nocturnal friendly. Um, you can still see plenty with it. Pick up any kind of trash. That's another thing too. <laughs> there's a lot of trash on the beach um, that they have to maneuver around. Um, a lot of shorebirds end up feeding their chicks trash. So if you're in the mood and you want to help out, uh, you don't know what else to do, trying to keep the habitat clean. Um, but anybody can make a phone call and say, hey, I heard that you know sea turtles are really endangered and you know no one's enforcing the law and I think you should I think you should do your job and enforce the law and protect them. Yeah. You know, we're gonna lose them. It, it, it only takes a minute. It's you know it doesn't take it doesn't take that to just pick up the phone and uh, and all these numbers for people to phone. I mean, it's it's all there on the web, isn't it? I mean, you know, any number you want of anybody is easily accessible. So there's no excuse for not phoning, really. Exactly, exactly. Well, I mean, on on my, um, if anybody wants the actual information of the people to, to call, you can, the easiest way is just Google, you know, reality checks with Stacey Lee. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I have a public uh account so it's not private. Um, I have videos describing not just what's going on with sea turtles but a whole host of other issues um, on YouTube as well and the sometimes the, the biggest issue with uh, lack of participation or engagement with the public and I found this to be true myself which is why I started a lot of this is you'll read like an article or you'll hear a speech or whatever and you'll be like oh my gosh this problem is awful someone's got to do something but then they don't tell you 
who's doing it or how to get in touch with them or, or they don't offer any solutions. You know, they just tell you this awful thing is happening, but then they don't say, but this, this could fix it, you know, or we should try doing this. So I try to rectify that. I try to say, well, this awful thing is happening and this is why it's happening. And these are the people who are doing it that you should contact. And this is the solution that we should try to try to fix it. So that's how I started, you know, that's how I basically done that long before the internet, but the internet has made it much easier. And that's where I started with the, my YouTube channel to try to educate people. And that's reality checks with Stacy Lee. I'll, I'll, put yeah. a link, I'll put a link to that at the, at the okay, end of this. Good. Yeah. Great. Stacy Lee, it's, it's been um, great talking to you. Um, I wish it was on a, a bit of a happier subject, but I, I just wish you the best with your work and yeah it is it is uh like i said they have everything against them but this if i could appeal this is a newborn endangered green sea turtle these are the guys that need the help these are the babies that are dying for light pollution <laughs> don't listen to me listen to them they need the help they really do they really do Fantastic. Thank you, Tracy Lee. Um, uh, Stacy Lee, sorry. Um, okay. I'll say goodbye for now and um, please keep in touch. Definitely. Thank you so much for, for having me. Uh, bye for now. Bye bye. Bye.